0: Listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. All right. Welcome back to our show. Today's guest is joining us from Chicago, Illinois, where he is a certified financial planner, a uh, number one best selling author, host of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast, and owner of Late Growth Financial Services. Mark Willis, welcome to the show.
1: My pleasure, Sterling. Glad to have you on your show, and I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. So Mark is more of a expert in financial services than specifically real estate. So we're going to edit our line of questioning just a little bit because we think that the content he has is is valuable for everybody. But the, the first question we normally kick off with is why should we listen to you?
1: Yeah. If you're into real estate investing, generally speaking, certified financial planners like myself will point you away from that and into paper assets like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, like our friend Robert Kiyosaki would say, fake assets. Nice. And <laughs> that's what they are. <laughs> so if you're a, into syndications, if you're a flipper, if you're a landlord, if you're a lien holder, if you're into residential or commercial, or if you're just dabbling in real estate, I think you'll find some value in what we'll talk about together today. I'll also hopefully expose some of the myths of traditional retirement plans and and financial strategies that I came across looking for my own personal pathway to financial freedom, even as I was going through the kind of the classically trained path of being a certified financial planner. And then maybe some strategies to help you become your own banker, your own source of financing when you're doing your deals in real estate. So I think there's a lot that we'll be able to cover together today. Sterling, I'm excited for the show.
0: Absolutely. Me too. So could you just elaborate a little bit more on
1: what exactly it means to be a certified financial planner? Yeah, it's like a marathon times a million (laughs) when it comes to the books and all the studies. It's an incredibly deep and incredibly broad subject. The financial universe is so huge. I actually kept a running tally. There are over 450 different places, financial products that you can put your money into Asset classes, okay, and then multiply that by like 10 million because how many index funds are there? How many sure. different types of trusts are there? How many types of real estate are there, right? I mean, so there's there's literally an endless number of ways to put your money to work. So a certified financial planner is someone who's done the research and generally it takes at least a few years to go through that. And then the number of tests that they put you through. No uh, day-long test. Yeah.
0: What is the because in a, in a previous life, I was a I think it was a financial representative. I had my series six and, and sixty-three and also insurance life and, and health insurance and property and casualty insurance. But I couldn't call myself a, a certified financial planner. I couldn't even call myself a financial advisor with the six. What do you have to pass to be called a certified yeah. financial planner?
1: It is certified, right? So you have to demonstrate that you understand all of the moving parts of someone's financial universe, that you'll act in their best interest, and that you follow a certified process with that person. So literally, I have a pathway that I take each and every person through. We sit down in an advisory role, one-on-one with folks, And we'll just learn, listen. Hopefully you're a good listener if you're a certified financial planner because it's most of the job is learning to really listen to someone. What do they love about their financial life? What are they freaking out about with their money, right? And what's working, what's not working? What do they want their money to do for them? All these are core questions and you take them through a process. You figure out what's the right strategy that helps you get from where you are to where you wanna go. Unfortunately, too many CFPs are really bias, I'd say, mostly because they come from one side of the financial universe or the other. Usually it's stocks, bonds, mutual funds to point you back into that universe, even if it's not in your best interest to be in that stock or that index fund and whatnot. But generally speaking, we're supposed to have a clear picture of everything from your taxes to your estate plan to your insurance and all things in between.
0: So, With a podcast called, you know, Not Your Average Financial Podcast, it lends to maybe you do things a little different than the traditional manner. And I know that you personally have a good bit of real estate in your portfolio and you you like to steer your clients in that direction. Whereas, as you mentioned in the beginning, a lot of other traditional CFPs don't really go that route. So can you kind of take us back to the beginning on like, what made you different? What that process was like to get you interested in and kind of maybe alternative asset classes and, and real estate investing and kind sure. of walk us through that process.
1: Okay, so I'll go through a quick story too that'll really maybe set the stage. So, you know, my wife and I, we graduated from a uh, college in Texas with three private school degrees between us in 2008. Okay, with no job, no plan to pay off all the student loan debt. We had over $120,000 of student loan debt to our name. And we were entering into the Great Recession at that point uh, with no real hope or plan to pay off all that debt. I began working alongside a CPA at that time. I was just lightning like speed trying to pay off all of our debt the old fashioned way. And I'll talk about how that might have been the biggest financial mistake of my life if you want to. I'd Um, love to hear.
0: I think I know where you're going with that and I'd love for you to explain it to us.
1: Talk about a low light. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I joined the financial universe like being dropped into the front lines of a war and I was watching our CPA make calls saying, hey, Mr. Client, hey, Ms. Client, I'm sorry, but I just lost you half your life savings. You know, your 401k just became a 201k, right? So, you know, we were watching those numbers drop like a house of cards and I was entering into this career as a financial consultant, financial planner, certified financial planner to be. And saying, wow, do I even really want to do this? Because do I really want to help a client go 30, 40 years, only to watch it all poof, go up in smoke when they're 62 years old, like some of these folks she was calling were, were at that point. So, you know, I had a real like, come to Jesus type moment there. Do I want to keep doing this? Or do I want to go flip burgers somewhere? And yeah, it was in the midst of all that, that I started realizing there's at least four major traps or dangers with traditional retirement plans, which we can get into if you want to Sterling, but the, just for
0: the record, I was entering the industry in 2008 as well. And I did leave to go flip burgers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Good man. That's probably so, the right way to go. Yeah. Kudos to you
0: for, for <laughs> toughing through it.
1: Well, it's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. I'd say there's more, more scars. I'm a post-recession planner, you might say. And I'd say it's it's for the benefit of our clients today. We've found ways to build real wealth outside of Wall Street without taking a bunch of unnecessary risks. And you know, for each of the clients that we work with, we have several hundred around the country now. Not a single one of them have a lower net worth this year than they had last year on a guaranteed basis. And that makes me feel pretty good and helps me sleep well at night. So
0: can you elaborate a little bit more on, on what these strategies are, you know, what you, what you believe is a better route to go than maybe what the other traditionalists tend to think and just kind of elaborate on the strategies and the, the processes that, that you go through that, that differentiate you and got you into this different type of investing?
1: Yeah, obviously there's lots of places to put your money, right? And real estate is a good one. You know, I'd say the big problems with most people we meet with is that they've never really asked themselves the question, what do I want my money to do for me? I mean, that's such an obvious, simple question, but it's so often not considered. You know, I'm handed that 401k when I get that job when I'm 22 years old and I just never think again until I'm 59 and a half. I can finally get that money out of that 401k. Meanwhile, I've got all this credit card debt. I've got a house that's too big and kids college funds that I've parent plus loaned and co-signed. And, you know, the average American, according to the U.S. Commerce Bureau, has over 35.5% of his or her income paying on the interest of all their debts. 35.5%. That's over a third of your total income just to service the debt, Sterling. That's that's crazy. And we're only able to save 5% of our income on the average for this country. So we're living in a world where we only have 5% to put towards syndication deals or real estate investing. But add to that your emergency fund, your kid's college fund, your retirement, you know, maybe we want to retire someday, all that on 5% of our income. No way that's going to cover all the expenses plus the emergency, right? The medical need, whatever the roof that needs repaired. And then we're servicing 30 plus percent of our income is servicing the debt. So in 1940, just to give you some context, those two numbers were almost flipped. We were saving a third of our income as the average American and we only had 10 to 5 to 10% of our income was servicing debt. So we've gone from a nation of savers to a nation of debtors. And the 5% we have left is going into more risky and risky assets. I mean, look, that's where the 401k, the IRA, day trading, it's all come from the last 40, 50 years as we've moved away from being a nation of savers and into more and more risky assets.
0: So... I take it you're, you're not a fan of the traditional retirement accounts.
1: <laughs> They've all got a place, right? But I don't see them as my top pick. No, for sure.
0: Okay. So what is the solution to the catastrophic you know, situation you just described? What's Mark Willis's take on, on how to handle that problem?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for a lot of people listening, myself included, real estate is a great answer to that question. Right. It does a lot of things. You know, it's less volatile than the stock market. You can live in it if you had to, right? It becomes a stream of income. So it's also a great tax shelter. But there's some risks even to real estate, right? There's no guarantee that it's gonna grow every year. Renters can move out or not pay you. You can have the appreciation of the real estate, but nationally the growth is only like one percent a year above inflation, according to Schiller, K Schiller. So that's not tremendous on the whole. And yeah, I've met enough clients that have had great years in real estate and terrible years to know that it's not as passive as the books and the podcast can sometimes make it sound, even though I do have some passive real estate in my portfolio.
0: You mentioned that you're passively investing in mobile home parks. Can I ask why you specifically chose that asset class?
1: Yeah, it's a, right now, and I think you've had some other experts on your show related to this too. But everybody's yeah.
0: running, everybody's running to mobile home parks.
1: <laughs> It'll be another thing in two or three years. You know, my my thing is look for where part of the reason why I love your show is you've got a lot of weird ones on there. And that's why I guess why I love listening to it because you're more familiar with the the not average ways of putting your money to work in real estate. Most people are still going after the same old stuff that's going to be more exposed to market recessions. I think mobile home parks are a little more recession resistant and you know I think Paul Moore and some of the other guys that have been on here have talked at great length about the benefits, you know, supply and demand benefits, some of the abilities to get cash flow, you're giving uh, the opportunity for home ownership possibly for these folks, so it's it's really wonderful overall and I just spoke to a guy on the east coast who is making quarter million a year and lives in a manufactured home, mobile home, and is there with presidents, CEOs, and other retirees that don't like their McMansion anymore. So there's some real upside potential there too. But to your point, I think there's a limit to what real estate can do. It's been around since the pyramids, it's not going anywhere. But think of it this way, real estate does not insulate you from financial crises. Think about this, when are we most likely gonna need access to cash? Well, during a crisis, right? And if all of our money is tied up in equity and our real estate, when are banks least likely going to be able to give us a line sure. of credit or give us money?
0: But yeah, that's, that's the catch-22 of the cycle. So, all the great deals are available when none of the money's available and all the money's available when none of the great deals are available.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it was Lane Kawakoa, I think his name, he said, uh, you want to zig when everyone else is zagging. Right. He was on your show recently. I, I just thought that was a great way to say it. Because yeah, you want to be the guy or gal that has a huge pool of contingency capital to balance out your real estate portfolio. We call it, some people call it the barbell strategy. Where so where, got to,
0: mm-hmm. where, where are you keeping this contingency? What, 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 are, the, what are the other pieces to this? Uh,
1: yeah, for the quick primer, most cash equivalents out there are going to be things like, you know, savings accounts, CDs, money market accounts, places that don't really give you a whole lot of bang for your Interest rate buck, you know, and they're all taxable every year on the little bit of interest that the bank offers you. So, when I was doing some research on this, when I was trying to find a way to one, pay off all my, you know, massive student loan debt and two, invest smartly in things that I could control and understand, I was looking for a place to park my money in between deals and in between debt payoff. So, we can either talk Sterling about the real estate investment or how we use the same instrument to help pay off all of our student loan debt. But what it came down to, if I if I could design the perfect financial instrument, I would want it to have guaranteed accumulation. I'd want it to be tax-free anytime I needed it. I would want it to be able to grow safely, be private from lawsuits and creditors and predators and all that. And I'd want to be able to have like the ability to put a lot of money into it or no money into it. So very flexible in how I funded the thing. And again, I want it to be privately owned. So When I was doing my research, looking at all these different financial assets out there, of all things, a modernized form of whole life insurance rose to the top. It's like a, a dividend paying whole life policy that you can essentially use like a line of credit to yourself. And that's what we use to pay off all of our student loans and then have since used to invest in real estate and so forth.
0: All of my friends and and former colleagues at Northwestern Mutual are going to love to hear this episode. Right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't have expected it. And being a Dave Ramsey, rabid Dave Ramsey fan, I was fully against it, skeptical of it, whatever. I was, you know, nothing but buy term and invest the rest in fake assets, whatever.
0: Have you run the? Because I've I've seen that strategy. I mean, like I said, I've I've sold that strategy before, and, and there is some really hardcore believers in it. Have you have you broken down the numbers to to the point where you truly believe that that you are getting the highest return? You are not feed out. I feel like I sometimes get nervous w- with the insurance companies that I am getting feed out there.
1: Sure, yeah. Well, the proof is in the pudding right so you want to make sure that it was it was engineered correctly i always tell folks you know i drive over a few bridges going to and from each day i have to know that it was engineered well before i feel comfortable driving across that bridge you know and the engineering of the whole life policy is the key to the whole thing did the agent or financial planner in my case know what it was, what he was doing when he or she built the policy for you. Too many whole life policies are riddled with fees, commissions, built for the death benefit and not for cash accumulation. So there's a few things that make these type, we call them bank on yourself policies because they're designed specifically after a trademark phrase, bank on yourself, to kind of follow a quality standard, right? Sort of like USDA organic, you know, it means something, right? Right. So to kind of summarize it quickly, the policies that we're talking about, these bank-on-yourself type whole life policies are going to be like eight to 40 times more cash value than old fashioned whole life out there, eight to 40 times more. The commissions are typically about 70% less than what old fashioned whole life would have paid the agent. So that may be a reason why most people aren't selling that kind of whole life, right? right? That's a good reason. It's built mostly for cash accumulation. The growth of the cash grows guaranteed every single year and it pays dividends on top of that. And one of the things that's really interesting here about this whole thing, which is different than your Northwestern friends might say, is that when you use a non-direct recognition company, that's a mouthful, but when you use that kind of design, when it's engineered with that in mind, if I borrow from my policy, let's say I had $100,000 in cash value in my policy. Mm-hmm. And let's say I borrow out $60,000 to invest in some real estate. That year, I'll still get the entire growth on the entire $100,000, even though I had borrowed against it and invested in the real estate. So now I've got hundred grand of earned money, dividends, yielding value in my policy. And I also have The cash flows, the appreciation, the tax advantages of that sixty thousand dollar piece of real estate at the same time. Oh wow. That's where things get really interesting when it comes to using whole life and real estate together. I kind of talk about it in terms of nitro and glycerin. Sure. They're cool, they're cool separate, right? They grow, you know, they they do some pretty cool things on their own, but you put those two bad boys together and there's some pretty powerful financial strategies you can come up with in between the two.
0: Now is there any limitations on the type of investments you can do from that type of policy? So like, could I, if I had a cash value life insurance policy, could I take money out of the cash, the cash value out of it and use it as a down payment to secure a loan or would I have to, would that be something where I would have to buy the whole thing? And then my other question about it, am I, am I subject to any of the limitations that I would be facing with something like a self-directed IRA where I'm, I'm forced to, you know, not be involved in any of the handling of the investment.
1: Right. Yes. Uh, So the answer to your question, no, there's no limitation or prohibited transactions for what you can use this money in the cash value of the policy for. Nobody can tell you that you can't do that with your money. It's your money, right? I could take money out of my policy and, You know, buy a Maserati or go to Vegas or fix up my kitchen or send my kid to college or invest in real estate. Whatever I want to do, it's my cash, your cash, right? Mm -hmm. Self directed IRAs, you're right. There's some cool things about those. I like it that you have a bit more control over what that money's doing, unlike a traditional IRA, which is just thrown into the market where there is no control. So typically, you cannot self deal in a self directed IRA, you can't fix your own kitchen. Or send your kid to college with your self-directed IRA. All that is possible with these policies.
0: Okay. So what does the structure of the loan look like? I mean, you say you're borrowing it from yourself, but what I don't understand is how does the insurance company still pay you the dividend on the whole amount if they, they don't actually have the money?
1: Yeah, This is the key difference. And we've got a couple episodes on our podcast, Not Your Average Financial Podcast. If folks are really interested, go to episode 110. We get into some spreadsheets and some numbers for the geeks like me out there. But here's how it works. You're using your cash value as collateral for that loan. You're not actually draining the policy. You're using it as collateral. Think of it this way. Got it. When I buy a car, something tangible like a car, I'll either use a bank, and get an auto loan where I pay them interest or I'm going to pass up interest I could have earned in my savings account or money market account had I not bought the car. So in truth, I finance everything I buy. right? I'm either paying interest to a bank or I'm passing up interest I could have earned on my money had I not spent it and left sure. it invested instead. Yeah, opportunity cost. Yeah. With the policy, I'm simply using the policy as collateral. If folks are familiar with how HELOCs work, your policy is sort of like a HELOC in some ways. Your home grows whether you have a HELOC or not. It doesn't care if you've got a mortgage or a HELOC on your house, the house just grows at whatever the market allows it to grow at. When you borrow against a life insurance policy that's non-direct recognition, you're not draining that policy, you're borrowing against it, using it as collateral. Policy keeps growing, and the policy loans are offered to you, so your money's doing two things at once.
0: So, just to be clear, the the insurance company is now the lender. So, you have your, your cash sitting in your reserve over here, and then in another branch of the same insurance company is lending you money based on the collateral that's in that, in that cash account. So, are you paying interest on this loan?
1: Yes. Man, so, smart question. Mm-hmm. So,
0: what does that interest rate look like compared to other sources of capital throughout the
1: market. Yeah. So, you know, who wants to pay interest? And Dave Ramsey would say, you're paying interest on your own money, right? (laughs) Right. So let's talk about it. In fact, I've got a case study that we can talk through. If you don't mind a few numbers, I'll try to keep it simple for folks driving down the road. But to answer your question, Sterling, there's a, there is a loan on life insurance policies. Okay. So it, it is a loan. It's not like a loan on your credit card or your mortgage on your house. You know, what happens if I stop paying on my mortgage? Well, the bank will come and repossess my house eventually, wreck my credit, whatever. On a life insurance policy loan, the insurance company is self-collateralized. What that means is if I never pay off my policy loan ever, eventually I'll pass away and the death benefit will be reduced by whatever the loan balance is at that point. So if I've got a million-dollar death benefit and I owe 300 grand on a loan, my family gets 700, sure. You got it. Yeah, right on. And that's income tax free, right? So I don't ever have to pay off that loan. Nobody's calling me at dinner time or wrecking my credit score. It does obviously benefit you to pay off the loan so you can spend that money again. And you don't wanna mismanage that loan feature or you could lapse the policy. But you've got the ability to pay that loan off at whatever pace you wish or not pay it off at all if you absolutely couldn't pay it off, right? So it's a non-recourse loan, they say. Now, interest rates, they do charge a loan interest. The insurance company is not doing it for charity. So they typically will do a simple interest loan. And so just to give you a quick math calculation, that might be about, it's usually like 5% simple interest. So over four or five years, that might be more like a 2% APR. So your your cost of money is 2%. To give you an idea, I had a guy who recently did this, he borrowed $350,000 from his life insurance and he paid that loan back over five years and the loan interest was 38,000 bucks. So that's a APR of 2.1%, 2.1%. At the same time, that same five-year period, his policy without him adding any more premium grew $120,000. So I will pay thirty eight grand if I can get back a hundred and hundred and nineteen, hundred and twenty grand of wealth. That's easy. That's called arbitrage, right? And he had the cash flow of the rental property he had bought with that three hundred and fifty thousand dollar policy loan. And the house grew another fifty five grand just in the neighborhood, the appreciation on the house. So plus the tax advantages of real estate and all that out of the life insurance was totally income tax free.
0: Awesome. Wow, there are some
1: downsides to this. We can talk about that, Sterling, but that's how that works in the real estate space. It is also how we used our, That's also how we got out of our student loan debt. I was going to say the, the worst decision I ever made was to just pay my student loans off the old fashioned way, which is just, you know, writing checks every month and getting a thank you for your payment letter from Sally Mae, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so all that money is gone forever. I can't get that money back. I can't grow that money ever again. All I have is a nice stack of thank you notes. Now, what I have recommended folks do is do, and what I did myself was the snowbank method of paying off your debt, where you pack money into your whole life policy and like a bank, right? Snowbank it. And then once you're ready to, once your policy has grown to the right size, you can take a loan against the policy, write a check to wipe out Sally Mae and her cronies. And now you're a student loan debt free and you have a loan to yourself and you pay your policy loan off at whatever pace you wish. Now you're better than debt free because the policy has been growing and earning interest and dividends even as you've paid off all the student loan debt.
0: Awesome. That's a, that's a very interesting technique. I've never heard it quite explained like that. So, what other advice do you have for, for people um, getting started?
1: Well, in this strategy, I don't recommend folks just run around and find whoever they can find or call up their, you know, state farm agent, sorry, you know, not to name names or anything, but don't just call up the average insurance agent and ask to build this, right?
0: What rate do you find that cash is growing in the sub, in those, those policies?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. The policies are not going to beat, you know, the best years of the market. It's not meant to, they're not an investment. They're really just a savings strategy. I've seen returns as low as you know three and a half percent, as high as seven percent on a well-designed plan. So in that ballpark, after now, tax returns.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, are you w- w- are you taking out the expense? Like if you're doing a compare or contrast between like a buy term and invest the difference. Or by the, the whole life policy. So when you're coming up with those numbers, are you taking out the expense of the assumed? I need life insurance anyway.
1: No, that's the internal rate of return, all things considered. Oh wow! Return so if, internal it, it, rate of return.
0: Mm-hmm. If you if you take out the the expense of I need life insurance anyway, which uh, you know we all mm-hmm. do, then then your your return is is actually much higher.
1: Yeah, you, that's right. You the
0: true mm-hmm. apples to apples.
1: We did uh, Apples to Apples on uh, one of our episodes. Again, for the, for the keen listener that really wants to dive in, check out uh, episode 73 of, uh, of, our, of our show, Not Your Average Financial Podcast. We go through a uh, line by line, Apples to Apples. You know, we just sort of say, all right, let's do it. When does it make more sense to have a well-designed, there's the key word, bank-on-yourself-designed whole life policy as compared to buy term and invest the rest. And, you know, we gave all the, all the wind in the sales to the investment strategies and tried to compare it everything with the investment fees and taxes due and everything else. And the premium of the term insurance, we tried to just do it as fairly as we could. And what was the outcome, right? So check that show out episode 73, if you want to learn more about that.
0: Absolutely. We'll do. Yeah. What other advice do you have for our listeners?
1: I don't, again, I was going to say don't do this if you're looking for double digit returns in the first year. There are insurance expenses on whole life. You can't get around that. You know, it's not meant to be a silver bullet. You certainly can't do this well unless you're able to save. You know, it still means all the normal financial realities of living within your means and being able to pack away something. I've had folks putting a couple hundred bucks a month away to folks doing half a million to a million a year into these policies. It just comes down to what you can set aside and not spend at the grocery store, so to speak. You don't have to be 22 years old and in perfect health though. You could be, I just talked to a guy, he's 81 and rocking it, driving his stingray and going and blowing. I'm just trying to keep up with the guy and he's starting his policies now. You can be you know, really all across the spectrum. So I don't think it's a perfect strategy that has no flaws to it. There are considerations and you want to work with an advisor that knows how to do this right. A bank on yourself authorized advisor is the right way to go, in my opinion. Somebody who's gone through all the hoops. It took me another three years to get really mentored enough to do this well alongside the CFP training. Biggest, hardest credential I ever had to get was the authorized advisor training for bank on yourself. So Sterling, I'd totally recommend folks check that out. That's one of the biggest things only because I'd say it's not all we do at our firm here, but it's one of the big ones because honestly, if, if you can have one financial strategy that helps you do all the other ones, you know, if I have a big bucket of cash value in my whole life policies designed correctly, I can do almost everything else in the financial universe, right? I can send my daughter to college with that policy. I can invest in real estate. I can pull money out income tax-free for my retirement needs. I can leave it as a legacy to my family. So it kind of is a small hinge that swings a big door. Awesome. Awesome. So what's next for you, Mark? I love having conversations with folks. I'm looking forward to putting out as many um, strategies that throw folks for a curveball, you know, on our podcast. Uh, So we try to put a weekly piece of content out each week to sort of scratch my itch for not average, weird financial strategies that seem to run counter to traditional financial planning. And uh, I'm enjoying that every bit and having fun with my wife and daughter too, man. What else is, what else is there really to do? Love it. Right.
0: Absolutely. So real quick, before, before we let you go, we have our radio round where we like to ask three questions to help, you, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better personally. What's your favorite book?
1: Mm, yeah. Favorite book on, on my shelf right now. I just finished the book, The One Thing. Man, that's been rocking my world lately again. So I'd say check that book out, Gary uh, Keller.
0: Yep. I'm, I'm in the process of listening to it right now. It's, it's one of those that I've, I've been you know, meaning to get to for years. And then actually when Paul recently recommended it yeah. on the show, that, that was what got me to you know, jump and, and start it. Um, Next question. What's your favorite quote?
1: A banker is a fellow who will lend you his umbrella when the sun is shining, but wants it back the minute it starts to rain. (laughs) That's a very, very,
0: very true. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Yep. So what's your favorite thing to
1: do outside of work? So I went to Jackson Hole a year or two ago and they had these really cool downhill mountain biking trails And I was just trying to keep up with this buddy of mine who did it all the time where he's from. And I had never done it before, but I was going way too fast and I loved it. And the adrenaline was just pumping fast and furious. I ended up flipping over the handlebars and cracking a wrist, but I still think it's my favorite thing to do and still plan to get back up there as soon as I can. (laughs) Awesome. We'll be careful out there. Thanks, man.
0: Tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you where I know that you've reached some people out there that want to try this new strategy. I'm personally going to check out those episodes of the podcast you mentioned because I'm interested in diving deeper. Where can our listeners find you?
1: Right on. Our podcast, Not Your Average Financial Podcast. If you want to learn more, if you like this show, you'll love that one too. If you want to reach out to me or one of my colleagues, we're very happy to speak with you for no cost, you know, 15 minutes to answer your questions, whatever, at least. Go to growmorewealth.com. That's the best website to reach us. You can schedule a time at growmorewealth.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Mark. It was a
0: great interview. I learned a ton and I know that our listeners will too.
1: My pleasure. Keep up the great work. All right.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Cressworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at CrestwordCapital. Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or Sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.